millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to Life's a Pitch. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of The Daily Mirror and his colleague David Walker, The Mirror sports editor. This season is the gift that keeps on giving. The Premier League is fantasy football in its purest form. There's another vital weekend ahead and we'll examine that in detail later. But first, England. Now I know we've got a solemn duty not to get carried away. But anything seems possible after that win in Germany. So here's a scenario for you. No Wilshire at the Euros, no Rooney, no worries, David? No worries if they're not fit to play. The key for me, and Roy Hodgson has said this repeatedly, and he vowed <coughs> that this would be his, his standpoint when he picked his final squad, if a player's injured and not proved his fit, so in other words, we're not taking injured players to the tournament claiming by the first game... They Which we've be done re- fairly regularly. Absolutely, and it has invariably ended in tears. So if Rooney... And Jack Wilshire show the fit before the end of the domestic season. Yes, they should go. I've got an awful feeling with Jack Wilshire, he's been out so long, he will not have enough games to really prove it. Rooney, if he's fit, should go. But it's not the end of the world if they're not fit. The national mood, it seems to me, Darren, is, well, let's just change. You know, we only got fear to fear. Mm. Well, the interesting thing about the Premier League season, as you've just been saying a second ago, is that we've seen the value of the team. And in your question, no Rooney, no Wilshire. Well, it, it isn't a problem because we've got a team ethic now really building under Roy Hodgson. We've got players who understand each other's game. We've got the Spurs component within uh, the team that did so well yeah. in Germany. On, and, and I think as far as the, the, the team, the squad, the strength is concerned, we've got a lot of reason to be optimistic uh, going into the Euros. What about reputation? Again, you've got to pick on form rather than reputation. If you do that, Wayne Rooney doesn't deserve a place in the team, does he? I think it's a big challenge for him now. I think he's definitely under threat. Clearly, Roy's spoken about how he rates him as a captain, as a senior pro, and it's got to be said, his goal-scoring record for England surpasses anybody else knocking around that squad. But the other side of it is, and and I say this with a direct comparison, Darren's touched on the collective and the belief they've got of what we saw as a high-tempo team, pressing people, winning the ball back quickly and being able to play that way, and the quality that some of them have in there, you look at that and you think, that is the way forward. Now, will Wayne Rooney slow things down? Does he fit into what we're trying to see? You know, I can see this group actually becoming something very special over the next few years. This summer, I'd like to see us go with it. 
Can I just defend Rooney a little bit here? Because <clears throat> the widely held opinion has been, as you've been saying, that Rooney, on form, you wouldn't pick him. But actually, Vardy's goal the other day was his first goal for a few games. Rooney scored seven in his last ten. So he's record -breaking, yeah. in record-breaking mm. form for his country. And for Manchester United, mm. he's scoring goals as on, well. On that so theme, on what basis do we say on form you wouldn't pick on him? That, on that theme, Darren, what about the way he's been used at Manchester United as well? Mm. Has that been to his detriment? I do agree. I don't think they're playing to his strengths at Manchester United. Um, I think in a team geared to get the best out of him, he would do even better than the 17 goals in all competitions that he's scored so far uh, this season. I think as far as Rooney is concerned, um, if, as we expect, a Jose Mourinho takes over and he is still the focal point of that team, I think the team will be designed to get a lot more out of him. But, Darren, uh, Darren you're saying on form... You pick Rooney. You can't pick him. He's going to have been out two months. No, no, so, no, so no, the, no. What I'm so, saying, I'm not, so I'm not saying on gone. form you would yeah. pick him. Yeah. What, what I'm saying is, I'm just defending his form because he would say, I have scored seven goals in my absolutely. last ten matches. And he is English's and, most prolific Absolutely. Mark, so, but, but on we, that basis. Here's a, a little curveball for you. Go you know Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson very well. Had he lasted one more season at Old Trafford, would Wayne Rooney have survived? No. And Wayne Rooney would probably have been happy to have departed as well, given the way the relationship was there. Uh, and some people would argue you could look at statistics to show in terms of yardages, speed, etc., where Wayne Rooney is not as effective now as he probably was three years ago. So you then, Darren, Tottenham, you know, you've got a PhD in Tottenham, haven't you, really? <laughs> uh, what are the lessons of the way that their players have developed. Okay, someone like a Dali Ali mm. has, has, has obviously come through the, the MK Don's structure mm. and strategy. But you've got Eric Dyer, you know, someone who is very good in possession, mm. technique is terrific. You know, I hear John McDermott who oversees the, the whole development structure at Tottenham talking about every player in his academy, no matter what position they're playing, have to have the the, the natural talents of a midfield player mm. do you see that you do see that and do you know he works hand in glove with Maurizio Pochettino who goes to watch games at every level and this is the sort of thing that the two of them discuss Hugo Ekiel works with the younger players as well and they all have a common belief a common uh, view that they have to develop versatility within the players within the teams that they have so that the players are used to playing in different positions you mentioned Eric Dyer started his education in Portugal um, he has played right back has played centre half has played centre half this season uh, when they tried to cope and managed to with Watford, uh, came away with a late win there, um, but has really cemented a position in midfield for his club and has gone on to do so for his country as well. Just uh, just overall, as far as that, that Spurs, those Spurs players are concerned, what he's developed with those players is belief because they're, they're, their fitness levels are so high mm. and despite their massive workload in so many competitions this season, they are still going strong. And he's also developed such a good understanding between Deli Alley and Harry Kane as well. That's why those two players look as though they are very strong mm. candidates to be uh, first picks in Hodgson's team. Because with Dyer, for instance, OK, you know, we know he, he developed in Portugal as mm. well. Here's someone who played seven-a-side football until he was 13 and he had coaches who were basically enablers, they said to him, look, go and be proactive. Most coaching you see in, in, in academies now is 
do this, do that, do the other, and it mm. takes away the, the thought process almost. And the other thing, you're absolutely right, Mike, and Dyer is developing as an all-round footballer, but don't you think the other thing we saw with England, particularly in the Germany game, the tempo they could play, mm. it was like Tottenham playing, hunting the ball back, pinching the ball in your attacking third, getting it back there and going back at the Germans. And I promise you, I really can see a, a, a link between this. You look at that group of young Tottenham players now and you look at the England 66 team, Martin Peters hadn't been picked before May of 66 when he just came in the squad late. Jeff Hurst made his debut in the February. Martin Peters was 22 and Jeff Hurst 24. They were young emerging players and in the end, they didn't start the tournament either, but by the end of it, they were the two guys who scored the goals that won England the World Cup. Now, I know there's the joke in the media, we always pull the legs of the West Ham guys, mm -hmm. you know, West Ham, the team that won the World Cup. Tell you what, if England are really going to go at these Euros, I think the Tottenham contingent, the understanding they have, is going to be critical to what we do. And what about moulding them alongside players of similar age mm. and instincts? I'm thinking of John Stones. Now, mm. it strikes me as pretty strange that, that Roy Hodgson's trying to play him down. Mm. Everyone and his wife knows that this player is going to go on a big transfer this summer somewhere... It, you know, to a to a club which will be a great stage for it. Yeah, I was with Chelsea last summer um, in America. They were fairly convinced that they would sign him at that point. Uh, but Everton, and it's a measure of the change in the landscape of the Premier League, Everton had the finance to be able to say, no, we're going to reject all the bids uh, that Chelsea throw at us. Uh, I think some bigger clubs will come in again this summer. Stones himself has had a bit of a tricky season, really, because... And I don't share this view, but a lot of people feel he's been too clever by half. Um, that he maybe needs to be a bit more agricultural uh, with his clearances, maybe keep it simple. I think he's been criticised. Absolutely, I think he's been criticised for the very reason that we really did get excited about him in the first place. And I think Hodgson's played him down because he's wanted to take the heat off him. Hang on, hang on, hang on. He's playing in a team that's got one of the worst defences in the Premier League. They ship so many goals to the point that he's not even a regular now well, in this right. club team and he's been tried out at right-back and centre-back. Now, if he really is the £50 million centre-back, shouldn't he be able to hold on to a place in the Everton team and be part of a much more efficient unit than what we're seeing there? Now, I'm not blaming John Stones for all Everton's woes. Roberto Martinez's team's through his career, have always shipped goals mm. and can play some wonderful football but also let goals in, which the danger is you have an exciting cup season or you get close to flirting with relegation <laughs> or, as he did at Wigan, go down because you just let too many goals in. But the fact is... John Stones is not a regular in the Everton team I, at the moment. I agree with that, and I, I, I don't deny that at all. And I think that's part of the reason why Hodgson's talking him down, because their best results so far this season have come without... John Stones in the team. This whole run towards the FA Cup semi-finals, um, remarkable when you consider they're 12th in the Premier League, and yet they've got the best young this, the best young that in Europe. I think it's more an indictment of Roberto Martinez rather than John Stones. I still do think the boy is talented, and I still do think with the confidence of a manager and the protection and the organisation within a good team, he can really blossom, and I think we'll see the best of John Stones. Mm. Now, Roy says in his defence, I'm not a conservative coach. No. Now, I think he is. Mm, I think you're probably right, Mike. <laughs> yeah. um, what do we expect from him over the next couple of months? Is this his real defining test of nerve? I think it is in terms of his experience. I know from 
sharing a, a dinner table with him a few months ago, he did have private worries about a few things. For instance, Danny Welbeck's fitness. Danny Welbeck's return is a major bonus for Roy in the sense that Danny Welbeck can fill in different roles for England. Roy likes him as a player, likes him as a guy around the squad, and Danny Welbeck gets it. He knows what Roy's looking for. So I think there's some positives that he's having in this build-up. But you're spot on, Mike. He has to stick to what he believes in. And as I mentioned earlier, one being, I'm not going to take injured players to this tournament. They've got to be right. Now, if he stands by things like, we may get a surprise, because it's not just you know people are focused on Wayne Rooney. Joe Hart's injured at the moment. Yeah. What happens if Joe Hart doesn't play again in the domestic season? Do we take England's top goalkeeper, even though he's not played again with a calf injury? There's an awful lot of things that can go, or things we're not aware of at the moment. Mm-hmm. So if he sticks to what he said, he's talked a good game, really go for it, Roy, and believe in this. Because the fact is, I think the nation is ready to say, yeah, we want to see the John Stones of this world. We want to see Dele Alli let loose on these people. If we can get Ross Barkley in the team, you know, the days of having the, the conservative James Milner players is, is gone. He's got a free go at it, really. He has, he? absolutely right. He's got it there. There's no big challenge that we're saying, here is the next top Englishman who's going to succeed him. I think Roy's got a wonderful opportunity where... If we're, if we're sensible, expectations at a reasonable level, it will kick on, mm. but he's just got to manage that whole scenario, and he's wise enough to do it. We're now looking at a collective test of nerve. We mm. talked about an individual test of nerve with, with Roy. Mm. Tottenham, again, you're very close to that club, mm. Darren. Do you think they can do it? They've got a, probably the game of the weekend at Liverpool. Yeah, I do, um, for two reasons, really. Liverpool just can't con- stop conceding. I think um, they've only fi- they've only kept two clean sheets in the league, if I'm not mistaken, since December. Uh, they just don't have that concentration. To, they're not able to maintain that concentration for 90 minutes. They blew a two-goal lead just before the break at, at Southampton. Um, and I just think Spurs have that collective will. They've got the mentality. They're doing double training sessions at the moment during uh, the international break with the players that have been left behind. They will continue to work on their fitness uh, throughout the remainder of the season. The spirits are high. Confidence is high. Is that a bit dangerous, by the way? Well, it seems to be working for Pochettino at the moment. Um, I was at the game just before the international break. um, And and they were very impressive indeed And um, against Bournemouth. Mm. And uh, it, he basically explained he has, he's got no real issue with that. They're not playing now two, three times a week as they had been because they were competing on three fronts. They're only playing in uh, one competition and he wants to keep his players sharp enough to be able to see it through. I don't think they've got any worries whatsoever. Um, even though that gap between themselves and Leicester is five points, I still do think there is a lot of confidence at Spurs that they can catch them. And they are actually playing ahead of Leicester for a change. Mm. Which is a big, big help. You know, you put the pressure on the, the, the team player on the Sundays. I think it's a huge thing in Tottenham's advantage. And you're right, I, I've got to say, the, the, maybe the biggest salute you can give to Leicester and Tottenham this season is both their managers have got a group of players who clearly believe in the collective whole. They know they need to stick together. They've got a belief in what they're doing. And they've got, within that, some brilliant individual players at both clubs. I mean, you know, let's not ignore what Leicester have done to be mm. top of the table and some of, their, uh, some of their guys. But the key will be now, I think, fitness. I don't just mean the level you can play at. 
But at one or two injuries now, between now and the end of the season, you, without stating the obvious ones at Leicester, you could say, woof, that could badly affect it. Let's just see what happens. But it's a fantastic running, and who would have thought that you'd be looking at Leicester and Tottenham being the top yeah. two at the start of this season? It's brilliant for football. I think mm. the, big, the big thing um, that England could learn from uh, Spurs in particular is that they, they didn't need a superstar in inverted comma, names. They got rid of a lot of players last summer. And I remember talking to Pochettino's assistant, Jesus, and he was saying, you know, we're going to bring through the younger players and we're going to give the younger players the confidence to believe that they can be part of a side that is trying to win things. People sometimes get underwhelmed by, for example, Tom Carroll, but he's come and made an effective contribution to the Spurs mm. team. Mm. Kevin Wimmer, you know, no one had ever heard of him. He came in from Cologne. Vertonghen's uh, been injured for quite a few weeks now, and it, the, it's, uh, the transition has been seamless. He has come in, learned alongside Alderweireld, performed alongside Alderweireld. And, um, yeah, in England's starting eleven at the Euros, you could have Rose, Walker, Dyer, Ali, Kane, half the Tottenham team, mm. all of whom have come from a, on the back of a season where they have learned... It is all about belief. It is all about the collective will rather than individual star quality. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's look at a broader issue here, David, because it strikes me that there is a, almost like a resurgence of interest in the Premier League because of almost like the innocence of, of a Leicester or a Tottenham. Now, on the other hand, you've got the big clubs conniving amongst themselves, mm. saying basically wanting, wanting to produce a Super League in another name by sort of changing the, the Champions League so that you're going to have get rid of the dross quite early on, then you're going to have make all your money in these groups of eight teams. People are going to be bored witless by that, aren't they? Totally right. And football, the pyramid of football, has to be driven on merit by the success of your best teams. And this year, at the moment, the best team in England are Leicester City. Let's see if it finishes that way. But the minute we start trying to rearrange things and choosing uh, entries into tournaments on the size of your ground, how many times you've won in Europe, the, the history of your club, that is fatally flawed. And I remember many years ago, and you'll name the year on this, but <laughs> I remember David Dean, then at Arsenal, came up with one of the first uh, development ideas for a European Super League that was going to be the breakaway. And it was the year that Graham Taylor's Watford had come finally from the fourth division right the way through and ended up runners-up in the old first division. 1982. Well, there you go. The point being... <laughs> How sad's that, by the way? <laughs> oh, I, knew, I knew there was a hornet in the house. So, uh, but the point I'm going to make is I actually did some research that year on attendances around the country and guess what? The Luther Blissett, John Barnes, whatever, Watford team were filling the place because it was new, it was vibrant, they were an exciting team to see and people wanted to see it. And guess what? People are excited by what they're seeing with Leicester and a resurgent Tottenham. Now, I know Tottenham would see themselves as a big club, but they're not big in terms of being in the top four challenging for the title every year. The game's changed, which is part of the reason why I sense some of these clubs, the big old clubs, want to have a breakaway that's based on history. It is so flawed as a principle for the good of football, it's wrong, but you know why the money guys want to do it. Mm. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, I do. I mean, the whole argument, as far as the big clubs are concerned, 
and, and they all went to this presentation from the guy who puts on the um, pre-season friendlies, the lucrative pre-season friendlies abroad, is that when you play the lesser-known teams, the unsexy teams, if you like, they're not good for TV revenues. So they want to do these two groups of eight so that, and they want to have a, a pr an extended knockout tournament so that you can get rid of the so-called unsexy teams. And you've got two groups of eights, all of whom are marketable, all of whom are top clubs, your AC Milans, your Romas, your your, your Bilbao's, your Valencia's, whatever else, the, the teams that people supposedly want to watch. The big problem with that, is that if you look at, and this has this point has been made, if you look at Abati Borisov, who uh, they beat Bayern Munich home and away uh, three seasons ago, they've had good results against Roma, PSG, and Let It Bilbao. Suppose one of those big clubs draw Abati Borisov in the extended knockout tournament and they get knocked mm. out. No lucratives to, mm. you know, two leagues for them, uh, no lucrative 14 games during the course of that season. That's the thing that they have to be careful but, but where, where they have to the be. The great thing in football, the great thing is when it's done on merit and you can climb that pyramid. Absolutely. The great thing is, in the late 60s, nobody had a clue of a team in Amsterdam called Ajax with a boy called Johan Cruyff playing, and then they go on and win three European Cups on the trot. Nottingham Forest came out of our old second division, win the first division when you had to be champions with it, and go and win two European Cups. That is what the great joy and the dream factor of football is. That's mm. what we all grew up with, believing that my club could achieve this. So there's no guarantees. Now, you only have to look at Aston Villa to know that. You know, they're on BT Sport, they're playing mm. Chelsea on Saturday. It's been an absolute catastrophe of a season for them. It, all, it seems now that Remy Guard is going to go. It's just mm. a question of sorting out the compensation. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Would you, if you were Sean Dyche, go for that job? Well, I would if I were Sean Dyche because I still do think that um, despite losing 21 of their 31 games so far this season, there is still something there at, at Aston Villa. They're still a big club. If you get it right, if you do the right business during the summer, you still would have a great chance of coming up to the Premier League next season. Already they've started sort of the clear out, if you like. Well, Steve Hollis has come in, Tom Fox, the chief exec's gone, Henry Alstad, the sporting director's gone. Uh, it looks very much as though Paddy Riley, the head of recruitment, is going to go as well. Remy Gard, he, he, he was a horrendous appointment in the first place. Uh, he should never have come in. He was a, an appointment for a mid-table club aspiring to get higher rather than a club in trouble who needed someone with experience of that sort of situation, experience of, of English football. He's going to go. He, we, we know he's going to go. I think as far as David Bernstein coming in and Brian Little coming in as well as an advisor, they've got two people who know English football who will make good decisions and will give that chance or, uh, that club a real chance. And so, yes, I do think if you're Sean Dice, you look at that whole thing and you think, I want to be a part of that. And they're going to go British. Which yeah, is, absolutely, yeah, which yeah, is great. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree with the British. I disagree with Darren completely about Sean Dyche. If I was Sean Dyche in a stable club at Burnley, I'd actually be thinking, why do I want to go and join what is a clear basket case sliding down the league for all the size of club mm. without asking two or three key questions like... Is it still for sale? Randy Lerner's openly admitted he was trying to sell it. Mm. So if I walk out of a stable club and join Villa, is the owner actually going to jump at the first? So I don't even know the people I'm working for. 
who is running it on a day-to-day -day basis. Steve Hollis arrives as this new chairman with a very high profile in accountancy, but is he dealing with it day-to-day? -day? One of the issues that's been flagged up over the last year is nobody knows the football running, nobody knows what they're doing, nobody's returning calls on things. You know, the media, the, the PR side of it's been appallingly handled. So what's going on with all this? So. Yeah, Villa's a great club with a great tradition and a lot of supporters and they play in a fine stadium, but there's still a lot of questions out there before I'd go in as manager or I, tell I, Sean Dice. I think it's got Nigel Pearson written all over it. Well, they could have had him weeks ago if they'd wanted to. I mean, the suggestions of soundings out and would he want it, but I think the questions I'm posing are the fairly obvious ones Nigel would ask as well. I think they are good questions that that day you pose, but I think when you look at the calibre of manager that is interested, I wrote myself about David Moyes being interested as well, even if they were to go down, because they are a club that does have the potential. I, I accept, you know, there are real issues within the club yeah. that they have to mm. deal with, but I think that's come, like that, that comes from the top. I, I do think there are concerns about um, the, the ownership of the club and, and the direction that they want to go in, but I think I don't think somebody with David Bernstein's experience would get involved with the club if he was not satisfied that mm. there was the potential for them to go in a better direction. OK, let's look at Chelsea. Yeah. Let's forget about waiting for Godot. We're waiting for Antonio, aren't we? Yeah. When is Conte actually going to turn up or actually be ratified as their new manager? That's a really good question because he's already come out and said, look, I'm no longer going to be in charge of Italy after the Euros. He's told that to the Italian Federation. So you have to wonder why Chelsea are waiting for so long. Well, I have a suspicion that they want to... Maybe because there are legal issues that he's involved in. He hasn't been implicated in any match-fixing at all, but he has been named as somebody who, you know, has to take part in this trial that is coming up. Maybe Chelsea don't want to be in any way associated with that. Um, but certainly it they doesn't... They never do anything simply, do they? <laughs> they do like to do things the hard way. It's difficult for Chelsea as well because, I mean, in the summer, look, everyone's talking about the players that they may well get in. They will have 60 players return for, for, for duty mm. at the start of next season. What are they going to do with those players, particularly if they were to spend big during the that summer? First training sessions, we like, a, where's Wally uh, <laughs> picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, you've got to say, Mike, that in some respects, if you were a young player, and a lot of these guys are, you know, Roman Abramovich has this pool of scouts that travel around the world and come up recommending people to him, and it would appear that a succession of Chelsea managers sort of say, well, you can park him, I don't really want him around, mm. and you're left with this thing about, this is madness, because mm. how are you really going to judge how good those players are, and how are you going to get a fair chance? And, you know, they're actively recruiting bit from lower divisions in England, from, you know, from really good development squads, they're looking at them, if you were the parent of one of those kids, yeah, it's a shed load of money available, but would you really want your kid to go and join mm. the, the Chelsea hordes? You yeah. know, it's madness. Managers, you know, they're the great myth makers, aren't they? Newcastle have basically bought into the Rafa Benitez myth. They've got a huge game that probably they can't afford to lose against Norwich on Saturday. Is that a good appointment? Yeah, I, I, I am a Rafa Benitez fan, actually, so... You can hit me over the head, but I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think Benitez is a myth. I, I think he, he, he's an organiser. I looked at the game against Leicester, the defeat to Leicester, and I saw signs there that, that already there is a greater appetite in the Newcastle players than there had been under Steve McLaren. I think they would have been relegated had Steve stayed. Um, I look at the manner of the recovery against Sunderland as well, 
and again, they looked like there was an appetite and a, a desire in the Newcastle team. Um, Norwich have got a great chance to save themselves if they beat Newcastle. But the big problem is I think those two results that they've had, the last two results, a draw against City, City are awful at the moment. They beat West Brom, have got their own problems um, at the Hawthorns at the moment. You have to look at the form before that, where they lost, I think it's eight out of their previous nine. The only point they managed to get was against West Brom. They had been two goals up against, sorry, West Ham. They had been two goals up against West Ham and mm. blew that lead. They can't defend. And I think Newcastle can go there and beat them. If you look at it now, Mike, Norwich, next three games, they've got Newcastle at home at the weekend, then they've got Palace away, and then they've got Sunderland. And if Norwich, if we put this as a positive sign for the Canaries, if they came out of those three games with, let's say, seven points, so they win a couple, they could nick a draw or something, if they do that, that will transform it because of who they're taking points off. If they don't, and particularly if Norwich carry on losing, and given they've got the worst of the goal difference in that little pack. I've got to say, I, you know, I presume we're agreeing Villa are written off now. Mm. They're going. Mm. I sense the next three games will decide if Norwich are going to be fighting towards the end or going to be sliding into the well, second. What about Sunderland? Slot. What about Sunderland? I think you'd have to say that they've got a chance with Sam Allardyce in charge. Uh, with Jermaine Defoe up front, they've got the goal threat. He seems to be saving them quite a lot these days. Where you would worry is defensively because they just have a mistake in them, it seems, in every game. And they don't seem to have that consistency at the back that would uh, fill you with confidence that they could put together uh, a sustained run. So, yes, they've got a chance, but really they've got to take that chance over the next few games. The big problem for all four of those teams, and Sunderland are within them, is that they are, what, I think uh, Palace are on 33 points and Norwich are on 28. So it's from Norwich downwards. I can't see any of those four teams below Palace putting together a run uh, sustained enough to be able to reel Palace in. So one of them, sorry, three of them will go down. Mm. Um, but I think Sunderland's ability to score goals and Jermaine Defoe is priceless to them uh, gives them a real chance um, and, and Sam Elias obviously has got a great record in terms of keeping uh, now, I've got to take up. issue with there on one thing Go on. history shows us somebody could as they did last year and Sunderland were one of the beneficiaries Leicester did it one of these, this lot, could go and win five on the bounce. We've seen it. Mm. Yeah, but, it, it but, but, uh, but history shows us, but you look at the evidence of all of their no, form, no, so all far, of those clubs' form at the moment. Absolutely. No, 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 I agree with you, Darren. You're saying the points per game as an average, mm. but the fact is, going into this last run of games, somebody in there can pull off something absolutely incredible. It might even run to the last day of the season. It has been done. Now, you're right. For me, I think Sunderland, with the goal threat, are the more, mm. most likely to achieve something. Conversely, and I know Sam Allardyce is brilliant at organised, organising his defence, you've got to say that you wouldn't fancy the back four in no. Norwich, Sunderland or mm. Newcastle's team. You know, the, there are goals to be had against them. OK, as a final point, chaps, um, it's the Wayne Rooney fixture this weekend, Everton against Man United. Obviously, there are FA Cup implications in that as well. A final point on Wayne Rooney, basically to end where we be began. Is he in your team that plays against Russia in the first game of the European Championships? Yes or no? Yes, if he has proved he's fully fit. No, he wouldn't be for me. I, I, I think you have him in the squad, but you don't have him in the team because you have younger 
players uh, and you have a more fluid, more flexible side without Rooney in it. And I think he has to earn his England place and he has to prove that the England team can work within him because what we saw on Saturday night against Germany showed us that without Rooney, we have a team that's much more enjoyable to watch than it has been for quite some time. Well, it's a no from me as well. Over to you, Roy. Thanks for joining us here on Life's a Pitch. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.